Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland and she will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear, my son, and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the, feet, or the path of your feet, then all of your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Well, good morning, church. So we are in this series talking about God's wisdom. And uh, this morning's chapter in Proverbs chapter 4 um, it, it begins in an interesting way. And so I wanted to start with maybe a question of you. Um, how many of you had maybe parents or grandparents that influenced you, that passed down perhaps sayings or uh, maxims, wisdom, something that has stuck with you? That maybe if you've had children, you've passed it on to children, or if you're you haven't had children yet, or you're a young person, but it's stuck in your head, and it's like, yeah, I, this is good. And, and it's influenced maybe how you've lived life, or how you've parented, or how you raised your children, or how you've worked, whatever the case. How many of you would say, yeah, that is in my background, in my heritage? If so, raise your hand, okay? Yeah, most of us. Now, is there anybody here who would be willing to share something that was passed to them? Okay, Sandy. Nothing to it but to do it. Yep. Wow, that's a good one. Yeah, I like that. That's very good. Very good. Yes, ma'am. Stand up straight and look him in the eye. Excellent. Excellent. That was similar to one that my dad gave me. Never trust a man who won't look you in the eye when he shakes your hand. Right? So he also said, never go into business with the three P's politicians, policemen, and preachers. So, okay. <laughs> yes. What does it cost and what is it worth? What does it cost and what is it worth? Excellent. You're judged by the company you keep. Judged by the company you keep. Woo, that's a good one, young people. Really good one, yeah. You lay down with dogs and come up with fleas. Yeah, you lay down with dogs. How, how many of you heard that one recently? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, somebody else. I saw a hand in the over here. Yes. Never envy anyone for what they have because you don't know how they got it. Wow, excellent. Never envy someone for what they have because you do not know how they got it. Really good. Somebody else? This is better. This is better than my sermon. Yeah. Wow, that's a wonderful tradition. Keeping Sunday sacred and holy. Nothing is special. No shopping, no working. It's a day of rest and a day of worship. Excellent. Yes, ma'am. Good manners and good behavior carry you far away. That's like manners maketh the man. 
For those of you, yeah, that's excellent. Yes. Go ahead. Decision and action are one. Very good. Your mom. Yes. Stay on the bus. The scenery will change. <laughs> wow, that's I, that's great marriage advice right there. Woo! That is excellent. Stay on the bus. The scenery will change. Yes, ma'am. If you met. If you mess up, do it loud and proud. <laughs> Coming from the musician family. That's, that's, that, that makes sense. That's good. That's good. Okay, a couple more. Do we have any more? Yes, ma'am. My dad memorized Proverbs chapter 3. He determined to have it memorized by the time he's 80. And so I said, well, it's good enough for him. It's good enough for me. Nice. Proverbs chapter 3. Your dad memorized it by the time he was 80. And you memorized it too. Wonderful. All right, one more. Is there one more? Yes, Don. Mom always said, be true to your teeth, and they won't be false to you. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> be true to your teeth, and they won't be false to you. <laughs> Fantastic. That is great. That is great. Well... I bring that up because in the opening verses, we didn't read them, but in the opening verses of Solomon chapter 4, um, Solomon makes this passionate appeal to his children. Listen to me. Listen to me. I am giving you the words that I got from my dad, King David, of course, the great king of Israel. And these are words that he got from God. And so I want you to listen to me. And he is so passionate about it and there's this urgency there and we understand the why he was so urgent because even earlier in the book he has been warning them he understands just as it is today that there are all kinds of voices bombarding us bombarding our children bombarding our our, our fellow believers encouraging us to adopt ideas adopt ways of life adopt philosophies and courses of action that are actually destructive. And he knows that for his children, these voices that are competing for their attention can have incredible influence over them and gain control over their lives. And, and we see this today. We have our own form of this. In fact, in our culture, it, it seems that our messengers all look the same. They are all young with six-pack abs and thin and tan and sexy and uh, they are all dancing on uh, social media and they are all sending a similar message and they are sending that message to our our society to our young people and and as parents many of us are saying to our young people listen to us not the dancing airhead okay please because they're fooling you this has been going on for thousands of years the media has changed, but what's been happening is always the same. And so Solomon is saying, ignore what your friends are saying. Listen to me. Listen to what I'm telling you, because what I am telling you is truth. This will save your life. And, and essentially, what does he say? The, the core, he says, wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, 
Get understanding. And in those opening verses that Jacob read for us, he said, wisdom is more important than gold and silver. Wisdom is worth you spending your life for. Pursue it at all costs. Get wisdom. Wisdom will give you that prosperous life. That's what he wants for his children. He wants them to live according to God's wisdom, not the wisdom of the culture of the world, because he understands that God's wisdom is the path to true prosperity. Now, we talked a couple of weeks ago about what is true prosperity. True prosperity is not what is often portrayed to us, even within Christian circles, that it's your Mercedes and it's your big house and it's not necessarily material things. It can include material things, but it does not require material things. That in the scriptures, prosperity is talking about a quality of life. It's talking about true eternal peace, satisfaction. It's talking about having purpose in life, of having a fulfillment in life. And you can have all of the money and all of the toys and all of the physical things of this world and have no purpose, no peace, no satisfaction. You can be absolutely miserable and have a fat bank account. You can have a slim bank account and be the happiest person in the world. You can be suffering with some of the most horrible diseases, going through some of the most difficult trials, and have true joy and true peace that others are spending thousands and thousands of dollars to try to obtain through therapy and counseling and toys and, and vacations and everything else, and they will never get it. And so we're talking about true prosperity, the prosperity that can only come from God. And this is what he wants them to have. And as we've learned already from chapter 1, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of getting this wisdom. Without the fear of the Lord, you don't get God's wisdom. The fear of the Lord is this abiding, reverent sense of God's presence in our lives, in our, in our, our world around us. It's this understanding of God's lordship, ownership of, of us, that we belong to him and that we're accountable to him, that, that we don't get to just live however we want to. We, we don't even just get to live according to whatever feels right in our hearts because our hearts can be incredibly deceptive and deceitful that we belong to him. And, and so this fear of the Lord, this heart attitude towards God, it is an absolute um, indispensable prerequisite that must more and more come to characterize uh, our lives, if God's wisdom is going to take root in our hearts and in our lives and begin to influence us and shape us and to change us so that we, that we experience true prosperity. And since it is, first and foremost, a heart attitude, the fear of the Lord before it's ever us singing songs together, coming to church together, uh, before it's ever exterior behavior, it is first and foremost a heart attitude. And when we realize it is first and foremost a heart attitude, it then makes sense why Solomon would issue such a bold command in verse 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs 
of life. This is one of those verses in the Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, that many will quote. They, this is one of those ones that this is very commonly known. And so we are going to unpack it uh, this morning. In fact, I made a, an audible this morning. We're going to unpack it this morning and next week. We're going to take verses 24 through 27, and we're going to spend two weeks on it. This week, we, basically, if you want to think about it, this week we're going to look at the what does this mean and, and why should we do it, the, the, the meaning and the motivation. And next week, we're going to look at all the how the practical application of how we guard our hearts. So I just decided to give you guys a break and not try to cram it all into one sermon and keep you here till 1 o'clock because, yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. Right. We have to remain consistent and beat Calvary Chapel to the Cracker Barrel. Okay? So, all right. Let's start with the meaning of the command, right? The first half. Keep your heart with all vigilance. Now, I'm going to give you a couple of different things here. Right off the bat, I'm going to give you a literal translation of the underlying Hebrew. For those of you who are newer, maybe to our church or even to Christianity, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was primarily written in what was known as Koine Greek, the Greek language, uh, some Aramaic. Um, and so uh, we, our English is a translation from another language. So literally, if you were to, to come at this from the Hebrew words, we, we bring them into English. And so translators make a judgment call. And so we get in our ESV, keep your heart with all vigilance. Well, what does that word keep mean? Well, the underlying word that they decided keep actually has a bunch of different meanings, but they all are in a kind of like a family. So the, the word, the, literally, this, this verse could begin with, above all else, or with all diligence, or keep. Okay? So above all else, with all diligence, keep, watch, watch over, protect, guard your heart. That's the literal translation of those words. How about a paraphrase? Now, I will, I will tell you that for many years, I was not a big fan of paraphrasing, but I have come to appreciate it more and more. And so here's a good paraphrase, I think. More than anything else in your life, guard and protect your inner self, your mind, your emotions, your character, your deepest thoughts, your convictions, the whole of your inward moral and spiritual life, particularly as it is viewed in relationship to God and others. That's a lot of words for five or six in that verse, isn't it? And so that's why sometimes as, uh, when I look at paraphrases, I go, yeah, I don't know about that, you know? But actually, that's a really good paraphrase. And I want to prove it to you. Uh, this morning as we look at the meaning of this command. And, and we can do so by looking at a definition of an important word, an assumption that Solomon's been make, is making here, and then we're going to do kind of like a little underlying grammar lesson in the Hebrew this morning. So I hope you, you brought a little bit of your interior inner geek with you because we're going to do a little inner geek this morning. Just a little bit, not too much, for those of you that don't have much inner geek, okay? Uh, so let's start with the definition of heart, okay? The, the definition of heart, the, the, the Hebrew word is, is lev. It's pronounced lev, okay? And, and the, the concept of heart, when you hear the word of heart, 
You know, for those of us guys who are in our 50s, we immediately think cholesterol, we think boom, 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 the, the physical organ. Rarely in the Bible, in the Old Testament, does the word heart mean the physical organ, even though there is a story in Samuel of a guy having a heart attack. Isn't that interesting? But um, in the Bible, the word heart is, is an abstract concept. Okay? And so, for example, a definition from a dictionary of biblical languages says the heart, that word lev, means your mind. It can mean your mind, your soul, your spirit your inner self. In other words, the source of life of the inner person in various aspects with a focus on your feelings, your thoughts, your volition, other areas of the inner life. So in the Hebrew world, you could say, hmm, I think with my heart. They didn't have the concept of a brain. You learned with your heart. You acquired knowledge with your heart. The reason why Solomon is talking about wisdom and understanding and discernment, and he's linking it to the heart, we would say you, your mind. And you know, notice how when you go to the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, he's in a Western culture, a Greek, a rationalistic type of, of environment that is very different than Hebrew, and, and he uses different language, doesn't he? He says, renew your what? Mind. He doesn't say renew your heart. He says renew your mind. But you see, in the Hebrew world, the, the mind, the heart, all of this is the same. It is the, the inner self. And so the heart can be the source of the decisions that you make. From your heart, you make good decisions. You make bad decisions. And from your heart, you have emotions. You can cry. You can be joyful. Your heart can be full and happy. Your heart can be broken your heart can be soft and alive towards God. Your heart can be hard and rebellious and rejecting God. Your heart is the command center of your life. It is the seat of your will. It, it is the most important aspect of your being in the Hebrew world. This is the meaning of your heart. And so when it says, guard, protect your heart, this is an incredibly important command. Now there's an assumption in this command. The assumption is, is that there is something good about your heart that is worth guarding and protecting. Okay? There's something good there and that you ought to want to guard it and protect it. Now listen, we aren't, we aren't born with this goodness. This good quality in our heart is not how we come into this world. The effects of the fall of sin mean that we come into the world with desperately wicked hearts. Every one of us. The prophet Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? He's talking about humanity in general. If God does not intervene in our lives, this is us. This is every one of us. Don't care how good you think you are, how good we think our neighbor is, if God does not do a supernatural act in their life, this is how God sees this person. They may have civic goodness. They may keep their yard looking nice. They may be nice to their dog. They may have all kinds of great qualities that you can appreciate. That's an example of God's common grace in our world. But in the core of their being, it's corrupt. Their heart 
is desperately wicked. Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 says the heart is dead to God. It's alive to sin. Every thinking of the heart is towards sin. It's corrupted and influenced by sin. This is the human condition. This is how we come into the world. So how can Solomon say, guard that? Protect that. That's not what he's talking about. There's an assumption. Solomon's talking to covenant people. He's talking to his children who are children of the covenant. And there's an assumption here. And so when we apply it to ourselves, for those of us who follow Christ, we understand that God first has to change our natural hearts. Here's your 25-cent word for the day, right? This is called regeneration. Regeneration. Uh, for those of you who might have heard it in a different way when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, he says, hey, don't you understand? You come into this world and you're a mess, totally corrupted by sin. You must be born again. You must be regenerated. And this does not happen through the natural processes. This does not happen through your personal desires. This happens through the Spirit of God. This is an act of divine grace. God brings our dead hearts to life, and we become born again with a heart that now has a disposition to love and serve God and has the power, a power to do so because God himself, the Holy Spirit, now lives in that regenerated heart. You see, Jeremiah, he says, the heart is desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? In Jeremiah 31, he will say, oh God, Renew this heart, and, and God says, I will do so in the new covenant. I will write my law upon my people's hearts. I will give them a new heart, and they will love me, and they will serve me, and they will turn towards me. I will do this with the new covenant. The prophet Ezekiel, who comes afterwards, he looks at the people, even the, the Israelites, and says, the hearts are nothing but stone, granite, rock, and we're nothing but dead bones. We're going through the rituals of worship. We have all of the knowledge of God, but there's no spiritual life here because our hearts are dead. They're just rock. God, give us a, a heart of flesh. In other words, a heart that is soft and tender and alive so that we can worship you. And, and God says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to send my spirit and these dead bones are going to come to life because I'm going to put a new heart into my people. And, and this is exactly what Jesus is telling Nicodemus when he says, don't you know that your heart is dead? You must be born again. But the Holy Spirit is going to bring life. And this is what happens to those of us and has happened to those of us who are following Christ. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. To, through Titus, he writes this, God saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness. God did not respond to our inner goodness or because you know, we did something that pleased him, so he rewarded us in some way. No, not because of anything that we did to incentivize God to respond, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration 
and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So there's this assumption here. Those of you who are following Christ, you now have a new heart. You still have sin. We all have this, but now we have a heart that has something there that is worth guarding and protecting. And that new heart has someone living inside of it. God, the Holy Spirit, who, as we know, is transforming us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. And so this command takes on even more importance to those of us who live in the new covenant. God is doing something in our lives. And so this is a call to us to see what God is doing in our lives through Jesus Christ. And now get on board, and participate in what he is doing. Now, how about an insight? There's a grammatical insight in this little warning. Word order is important. In the Hebrew language, word order told you what they wanted to stress the most. And so at the beginning of the sentence, they would put the word that they wanted to stress the most. Normally, this is a verb. But in this case, it's this idea of vigilance or, or above all else. It's that Hebrew word. And, and the, the concept here is that your heart and guarding your heart this is the most important thing you can do in your life. Before you guard and protect anything else, think, I want you to think right now, what is the most valuable thing in your life? What are the, what are the three most valuable things in your life? Family. Family. What's that? Your faith. Well, I'm talking about physical things your teeth, <laughs> because, because being true to your teeth now means they won't be false to you later. Right, right. <laughs> Maybe, you know, nobody wants to say it, but in the back of our minds, okay, my, my bank account, my, my, my retirement account, that's pretty important. Hair. Hair. <laughs> yeah, buddy. <laughs> Some of us is too late, but yeah, I hear you. All the things that you're protecting, he says, the most important thing is your heart. This is it. And here's the thing. It requires constant vigilance. And the reason why is because it gets so easily subverted. So the last two weekends, I've been at weddings. And uh, last weekend, I was in a wedding in, in Durham with my son, and a friend of his was getting married. And they and, and Ben, the young man who was getting he he went to college on a trumpet scholarship. He played with incredible world-class jazz musicians. And so he pulled in markers and they had a jazz band there that was just phenomenal. Now, now sidebar, you cannot dance to jazz music. I'm just saying. <laughs> Forget it. Great music, but we couldn't dance to it, and uh, uh, so anyway. But it was it was incredible music. And then last night I was at the Crown Plaza. I did a wedding there, and uh, and the band there was like a, they they were a cover band for like uh, Tom Petty and Stevie Nicks. And this couple, dude, they they had Brasilia Fest at the Crown Plaza last night, and there was all these Brazilians, and they were partying. But I'm gonna tell you, the real party was in the ballroom. I mean, all of us older, middle-aged, we, we, we showed them what it meant 
to get down. I mean, it was incredible. This band was incredible. So uh, Sandy, guys, beachside, that was us. I'm sorry we disturbed you last night, but mea culpa, right? But here's the thing with both of these bands. You know what I've noticed? And I've noticed this about musicians. Have you ever noticed this? That musicians, even between songs, well, first of all, they always get, they get up here and they get their instrument. I mean, watch Paxton. He gets his instrument and he's just rehearsed. You know, he's only been back there for 30 minutes. And what's the first thing he does when he picks up his instrument? Almost every time, what does he do? Yeah, and then he does this thing. And it's like, dude, it's only been 15 minutes. What's going on, right? I've seen Paul Jackson in the middle of a song when he's not doing this. I've seen him tweak his violin. Seen him do it. Why? Why do they do that? Why? Temperature. Temperature. It gets out of tune that quick, right? It gets out of tune that quick. I mean, they, uh, they, can, they can be carried in the case when they put it down. Just bumping it gets it out of tune. The, the humidity, the temperature changes. You come in the room, the temperature changes the environment. Their instrument gets out of tune. And, they, 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 and, their, and their ears are so much better than our ears, they can tell. They tweak it. John Flavel was a, a reformer in the 1500s. And he, he did an analogy. He actually wrote 100 pages on this verse and guarding your heart. And he gave an analogy that our hearts are like those musical instruments. He said, you know, you can take a violin, a piano, you can put a violin, you can hang it on the wall, not do a thing to it. You can put a piano in a corner, not do a thing to it, and it's going to get out of tune. He said, our hearts are like musical instruments. They so easily get out of tune. Any little thing in life, we get jostled, we get pounded, The temperature changes just a little bit in our lives, and our hearts are now out of tune. And and they can go from being slightly out of tune to being so out of tune that we don't even sound like a musical instrument anymore and barely resemble a Christian. It can happen very quickly. And therefore, we must... Above all else, before anything else that you think is important in your life, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Can you say that your inner self has this kind of priority? Do you see your heart, your inner self being that important? If if you compared your exterior life interior life, and someone were judging the attention paid to those two, what would they conclude is more important? I I know what they would conclude about me. This verse has convicted me this week. I need to look at how I'm spending my time. I, I I need more time on my heart. It's that important. It's that important. I even just thought about, I, I don't do a whole lot this, with social media, but I just, thought, I just thought to myself, I mean, this week, if I were to compare the attention I gave my heart to the attention I gave social media this week, yeah, I had to, I had to do some repenting. So that's the meaning of the command. How about the motivation of the command? Keep your heart 
with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Let's think about that phrase, springs of life. So, hopefully, yes, picture. This is the Itchituckney River. How many of you have been down the Itchituckney River? Yeah, several, a few of you have. Most of you have not. Wow, you are missing out on a Florida treasure, okay? So, I, when I, and I thought of this for the service, this is like providential. When I was up in Durham last week, I was talking to my daughter-in-law, Jill, and her sister lives in Orlando, and Jill's coming down in August to see her for a baby shower and all that. And I said, hey, one of the best things to do in Florida in the month of August is to go over to the Itchituckney Springs and float down the Itchituckney River. It's just awesome. And she goes, what's the Itchituckney River? And so I had to tell her. Okay? So, so the first time I went down the Itchituckney River was in 1970. I was in kindergarten, and the, the state of Florida had not bought it yet, right? The state of Florida had not bought it. They had not made it into a state park. And we took uh, all of our family and extended family, in-laws, outlaws, uh, which meant there was, you know, anyway. And, um, and, we, and you float down this river, and it's spring-fed, you know, which means it's crystal clear, 12, 14 foot. You can just see the beautiful water. And, you know, and, and of course, I don't know if I'd do it nowadays, but, you know, we would just drink right out of the river, right? It was just pure, delicious water and rope swing. I remember this vividly. Rope swings everywhere. Trees were over the water because it was just a river, you know, spring-fed. You know? And, and what I really remember as a fifth grade, at least back then, were the two water moccasins that dropped out of the tree right in front of my mom. That was exciting, right? Um, <laughs> But for you know, say they've cut those trees back now. You don't have to worry about water moccasins if you go today, okay? But, but we, we understand, if you know, that in the state of Florida, one of the great things about our state are the springs that are around. You know, Silver Springs, Salt Springs, Blue Springs, Blue Grotto, all these places that are in our state. And they, they're important to our ecosystem. They are the source of, of beautiful rivers that uh, provide clean and refreshing water. So we kind of get this idea of what a spring is. And it helps us to understand why we should guard our lives and guard our hearts. And, and it kind of helps us provide a, our, our main concept here this morning. Since our inner self is, is like a spring, it's the source of our lives, we're to diligently guard it, to protect it. I mean, let's think about this for just a moment. As the water flows out of the spring, creating a river that can refresh and give life, or it can flood and overgo its banks and become a devastating force within a community or a city. It has that potential also, doesn't it? So too do our thoughts, our words, our deeds, our actions, they flow out of our heart, creating a life that can be refreshing and bring life and encouragement to others, or it can be a force of devastation and destruction. This is the word picture here. This is the power of our hearts. Think about it. Every word Every thought, every deed, every decision, every response, every action, everything in your life flows out of your heart, holy, unholy, good and bad, wise or foolish. It all flows 
out of your inner self. So here's the wise saying that my mom gave me. You gave me some of yours. My mom gave me several. For example, when I was getting close to, you know, really getting serious about dating for marriage, my mom pulled me inside and said, son, spend time with her parents. Boy, that was great advice. So, but here's one that, that, that I never will um, you know, forget that she told me about life. You take your problems with you because you take you with you. You know what she was getting at? Most of our problems in life, most of the things that were affecting us that are, uh, you know, just that we're worked up about and that we're focusing on and we, we look to exterior things and we blame this or that and it's not the exterior circumstances of life that is the issue typically. Typically, the issue is within. It's us. Goes back to the saying, stay on the bus. Sooner or later, the scenery will change because we're the ones on the bus. We're the ones that when we change, the scenery inevitably changes. And so if your inner self is more and more shaped by the fear of the Lord, then God's wisdom is more and more going to shape and rule your heart. And when God's wisdom is shaping and ruling your inner self, the more that flows out of your life is a blessing to others. The more your words bless your children and affirm and build them up, the more your actions bless your spouse and deepen the love relationship between you and that other person, the more God uses us to bless and, and to influence those who don't know Christ, the more you see the fruit of the Spirit expressed in your life and the more you experience true biblical prosperity. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus can transform any heart. He can transform the hardest heart, the most cynical heart, the most wounded heart, the most damaged heart, the most skeptical heart, the most pharisaical, hypocritical heart, Jesus can transform them all. He can do all of this so that things that flow out of them can be refreshing and can bring life and bring goodness to others rather than being destructive. He says in Mark chapter 7, verse 20, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, covetry, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Some of you here this morning, I wonder, do you need a new heart? Is that the source of your problems in life? Is that you need a new heart? You're at that point where you've tried everything to be a better person and it just isn't working. Jesus invites you to call on him today. 
He is in the heart-changing, transformation, transplant business. He's the one who can do it. And he invites you to call on him today. Ask him to give you a new heart. You'll know that he has done this when you see the desires of your heart changing. You'll know that he's done it because you'll want to know Jesus more. You'll want to, to love him more. You'll want to, to find out, what, well, what does he say? You'll want to live for him. You'll want to hang out with other people who know Jesus. And, and here's the thing. You can be raised in church. You can be raised in a Christian home. And if you don't want those things, you have a major heart problem. And the only solution is to come back to Jesus and cry out to him like David did. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit 